Emotionally, being emotionally healthy is good, and it, you can't be spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. And so we walk through account after account after account in Jesus' life where we uh, identify his humanity. In, in, in Christian doctrine, it's said like this, that, that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And we like to lean on the fully God part, but he is fully human with what appears to be struggles and pain and ache and doubts and we spent some time looking at Jesus' life in, when he comes uh, to this crucial moment where he, he is uh, about to walk to the cross. These key moments where we become awake and aware that the God of the universe weeps. And the God of the universe is aware of what's happening below the surface. And so it might be important for us to be emotionally healthy at all. And so we went on to define what that means and look at spiritual practices that have happened throughout church history that have been helpful things that we see in scripture, of ways that we become aware of what's happening in our own heart. And it was appropriate for us to do this during the season of Lent. And if you're not familiar with the season of Lent, if you didn't come from a church that, that kind of paid attention to that at all, this is just a, a season in the church calendar where we're recognizing God's work in us. And we're recognizing rep- the reality and the importance of repentance. We kind of spent, and not that that's just a one time a year thing, right? But we take some time during this season, preparing for Easter, the 40 days leading up to Easter, where we kind of walk into the wilderness a bit, where we acknowledge the pain and ache and sin in our own life. We're, we're, we're a church that is not afraid of using the word sin simply because we want to be sober-minded and truthful people. You know what I mean by that? Like, we want to be honest about the fact that, yes, we are made in the image of God. All the things that we just sang, we are loved, chosen Children of God, that's who we are. But that, like it says over and over in the scriptures, our propensity is for death. Our propensity is to choose death and not life. Paul says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short. And that there's something when we say yes to Jesus where we shift from death to life. And so this is a season where we want to be honest with all the wreckage happening in our own life. So all that said, we jokingly judge the, uh, the quality of a service, jokingly judge the quality of a gathering like this based upon how many people are crying. It's a joke, kind of. And oh my Lord, there have been a lot of tears over the last seven, eight weeks. I don't mean that to say the services have been that spectacular, but this journey that we have been on has been a game changer for some of you. And if you fill out the genogram when we handed that out, talking about breaking the power of your past and talking about generational sin, I couldn't believe some of you actually filled it out. Just a heads up, as pastors, when we do that sort of stuff, we'll hand that out, we'll encourage folks, maybe like half a person will do that. There was a bunch of people who did it. I've gotten emails and calls. Pastor Sarah, other folks have gotten emails and calls of like home group leaders have had like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what, to, like, like coaching calls with us. I, I, am, I, I think we need a professional counselor in our home group now. But like good stuff. Really good stuff because what it's doing is unearthing. It's what's below the surface. That iceberg analogy, right, that we've used a number of times. You look at an iceberg, most of the substance of an iceberg is where? Above the water or below it? Almost all of it is below the surface. What's really going on? Right? Ah, I struggle with a little anger. God, will you take away that anger? 
Yeah, 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 but where's that anger coming from? Are we inviting God into the spaces that are most crooked and broken and, oh, that comes from that and that comes from that. Oh, this is, this is making me aware of what's been handed down to me. This is making me aware of my rhythms and how unhealthy they are. And so of all the different principles that we've gone through, a couple of weeks ago I spoke on limits, receiving the gift of limits. I would say that is the second most important one for me personally. Today is the most important one for me. It is the one that has most changed my life. And I recognize that as a pastor, I, I in a lot of ways say a lot of really big things in very demonstrative ways, like the best ever. This is the most powerful thing you'll ever hear. This will change your life. I say that stuff a lot. I mean it most of the time. I just am very emphatic. <laughs> this feels so dishonest. But today, I mean it. I mean it more than maybe normal. Uh, today, I, 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 hear me, and don't roll your eyes, please. Today, I want to start a rebellion. I want to start a resistance today. Now, we know the way of Jesus in general is a pretty much like point-blank resistance to, to, to so much of, of what is, our, our culture lives and eats and sleeps and breathes. But today, I, I want to start a resistance and rebellion against busyness. I don't want to break its back. And I want to... I wanna, I want to invite us. I'm just going to tell you what the whole sermon's about in like one second. Ready? You should all Sabbath. That's my sermon. Now I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about that. And I want to encourage you and to consider as I go through this what it would take for you to have the resolve, the will to just say, I'm not going to try to take a Sabbath. I'm just going to do it. God's not going to love you more. Love you less because of it. But I want to make a case for it and, and to invite you to, to, to do it. So hear me out. Time, we talked about limits last week, right? Time is one of the only things that, that we can't really control, right? <laughs> Time is just going to keep coming. And it's going to keep coming. And it's going to keep coming. Uh, any of you get the Providence Monthly motif? Any of those like Miller magazines? Is motif still around? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, get those, like, like you, you follow a blog around Providence. I used to follow a lot of these things, and I had to stop. Do you know why? Because every time a, a, an article would come out, it would tell me of, like, all of the places that I need to eat that are the best places in the world. This is the new coffee shop. This is the new restaurant. This is the new event coming up. I don't know about you, but I, like, kind of want to be, like, always, like, on the, like, oh, yeah, I want to I be on the inn. Just being honest. I had to stop because it was, like, constant, constant, constant. Being invitations to this and invitations to that. We talked about the need to resist that, the need to put boundaries up. But the reality is that even the work that we love and the things that we love to do and the things that we are invited into, if we don't have a regular rhythm of stopping and resting, it will break us. So I want to begin in the beginning. If you have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screen as well. The Bible starts with a poem of sorts. It starts with this beautiful poetry, this account of like what the beginning of the world was like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters God saw all that he had made and it was very good in verse 30 sorry I just jumped to 31 God saw all that he had made so he makes the, the, the animals he makes people he makes plant life 
And then he ends here with God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So moving into chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all work of creating that he had done. God rested. Sabbat is the word. Obviously, it's where we get the word Sabbath. Sabbat. You say Sabbat. So Sabbat is not like God's tired and exhausted. The, the, the meaning around this text, this word, is this. Sabbat is like almost like, I imagine like kicking back. It's just kicking back. Like he looks at over all that he had done, and he delights. He delights in it. It's like a long day of work or a long week of work, and you get home, and it's Friday, and you, you sit in that favorite couch, or that chair. Anyone got a chair? Anyone got a chair? Oh, I got a chair. You just, there it is. Oh, I can feel it. And then he just lay back and you go, this is an all right week. This is an all right. This, this is sort of the imagery of the Sabbath. God rested. He rested. A day set aside, many of the rabbis would talk about, to celebrate, to delight. God works for six and he rests one. Works for six and he rests one. There's a pattern built in, apparently, to the universe. So I want you to notice two things. One, God blessed the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day. Now, there's only two other things that God blesses in this Genesis account, this, like, formational, like, this account that helps make sense of the entire arc of Scripture. If you don't understand things like Genesis 1 or Genesis 12, John 1, these major pieces that help show us the whole story of what's happening in the Bible, this is, it's tough to get the larger narrative. And at the very, very beginning, it's important to point out what does God bless? He blesses three things. Sabbath is one. The other two are people and animals. People and animals. Here's why this is important. The blessing in both of those situations are about multiplying. Blesses the animals to multiply. He blesses the people to keep going, to keep the thing going. It's, it's having a life-giving ability to make more, which is interesting that then the Sabbath is the third thing that's blessed. Blessing is tied to those things. Sabbath, then you could argue, is the life-giving ability to make more life. There's something about Sabbath that actually helps life keep going. Just one thing to notice. God blessed it. And blessing there is is the ability to be almost like a co-creating with God, to keep going. Two, he made it holy. He made it holy. Now the rabbis have this term, the principle of first mention. Like the first time that a word is used kind of almost sets the definition. It sets the stage for how this word will be understood. And then many of the writers throughout scripture kind of harken back and are pulling you into a larger story. Many Jewish writers have these layers. For instance, when Jesus rises from the dead, what does John make sure he says where they are? You know where they are? It's a garden. And then what does Mary mistake Jesus for? The gardener. the lights on your dashboard should be going off right now if you're familiar if you're familiar with the bible he's hearkening back to new creation i've i've yet to read a commentary that doesn't like point back to oh why would john just mention that detail it doesn't mention tons of detail gardener 
this is the beginning of something new. This is back at the Garden of Eden. He's referencing this. So the principle of first mention is where's the first time the garden's mentioned? So the first time the word holy is mentioned is here. It sets the tone. And so what does God make holy? What does God make holy? A, a, the Sabbath, a day. You could say time. God makes time holy. Here's why this is important in the ancient Near East, what gods make and where a god is found is in a temple. It's in a spring. It's on a mountaintop. God was found in space. And you realize that at the climax of God making everything, if you're in the ancient Near East, you're reading, okay, and now God's going to show us where he is present and resides. But this God makes a day. Grasp the poetry of this with me for a minute. This God makes sense, makes himself known in, in time. Take a day. Abraham Heschel writes, Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. They are architecture in time. Sabbath is architecture in time. This is a day that is blessed, life-giving day, and it's a day that is holy. It's a, there's something about this is where God is found, the day when God has my attention. Sabbath for me is a day when, when I'm not available to anyone else and fully available to God. Sabbath is a day that we're reminded in the holiness of it, that the world doesn't revolve around me. One writer talks about how Sabbath is about the withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh, right? This would have been read to slaves in Egypt, this Genesis account. The refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. Can I read that again? Like Sabbath is about the withdrawal from the anxiety system of, I just got to, just more bricks, more bricks, more bricks. Build, build, build. It's the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption. So when we don't take God's invitation here to rest, when we fight against this rhythm, we end up reaping the consequences. I spent some time this last week just looking through different articles. Just the amount of people who talk about the importance of taking a day. And I always find it compelling when it's not by, like, Christian writers, right? It's not by people who already have a lens to understand something like Sabbath or why you take a Sunday off in our culture. Scientist after scientist, people who study, like, our health, the medical field, all the importance what they're realizing about people who take a day. Slower mind, like, that's a good thing, slowing your mind down. <laughs> Disconnect, the worry that drops, there's, there's, a, there's a distinction between a life with and without Sabbath rest. There's an impact on emotional health. So Exodus 16, if you want to turn with me there, let's keep going. Where else does we talk, hear about Sabbath? Then Moses told Aaron, say to the Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. 
When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it is. In some translations it says they called it manna, which is such an unoriginal name. It's like my favorite little quirky moments in the Bible. They called it, what is it? That was the name they gave it, manna. That's what it means, what is it? That was funny. Then in verse 21, you guys tracking with me? Just making a case for Sabbath. It's going to change everything. Stay with me. Each morning, everyone, verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy, here's the word again, holy, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. An entire day, one translation just says dedicated is really what the word's getting at. An entire day dedicated to the Lord. Not just rest, but worship, which is important. It's not just about taking a day to chill out. He's, he's impressing upon them, look, I'm trying to teach you trust, so every morning there's some food that shows up. But the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to drop double. There's going to be two cheeseburgers on the ground. And you're going to be able to grab both two veggie burgers on the ground. Take them both. Don't wait for the next day for another one. To take two because I don't want you to have to go out and harvest anything the next day. It's a day of rest, but it's also a day dedicated to the Lord, a day of worship. So this is our grid, by the way. If you're starting to already ask yourself the question, well, what is Sabbath? What does it really mean to rest? I get that question all the time. Run it through that grid. That's what I do. Is it rest and is it worshipful? If it's restful but not worshipful, I don't do it. Is it restful? Is it worshipful? And how do I even understand those two things? We'll get to that in a moment. Take a Sabbath is to simply define what work is for you and then just to not do it that day. Not do it that day. It's not just that. It goes a little deeper. The Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. You hear, I want you to hear this. Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. A day off is a day that you don't pay your employer. Not you don't pay your employer. You don't work for your employer. Sabbath is, how many of you pay your employers? You have a bad relationship with your employer. You do errands often. Maybe you play. Many of us are Americans. We shop. We have a problem with that. We shop. We play. But on Sabbath, you rest and you worship. Brand new idea for these people. And this is why Moses goes on to say in verse 23. By the way, John, even in the New Testament, he talks about a preparation day. There's a day that we prepare for this day. We grab both cheeseburgers and bring them in. Verse 23. So this is what Moses is about to talk about. You prepare for this day. This is a big day. This is an important day. So bake what you bake. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Verse 23. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Do the thing. Get everything ready. Marinate the tofu. Just trying to give shout outs to the vegetarians. Not getting any love from you guys. There's like three of you here. You marinate the steak so it's ready to go. You just got to click the oven on. The oven, because you bake steak. Sorry, guys. Not quite. I don't know what I'm talking about. And you gear up for a weekly holiday. You want to take that day and set it apart. This is what Moses says in verse 24. So they saved it until morning. 
as Moses commanded. It didn't stink or get maggots in it. That's good, because remember that was happening before, if you know the story. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. These are like type A people. But they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he will give you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So what does it say here in verse 27? It's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. The Lord has given this to you. He's given, verse 29, he's given it to you. It's a, it's a command, but it's also, it, it's, a, it's a gift. It stands today as a gift of God. We sometimes get, we create a kind of a false dichotomy sometimes between a gift and, and a command. At this point in history, is God's giving commands to the Israelites. He's showing you this is what it means to live. This is how, you, you cannot do that, right? You cannot sleep eight hours a day. How many of you got eight hours of sleep? Good, four of you. There's overwhelming, overwhelming data that if you don't get eight hours of sleep, like there's stuff that starts to just basically get dysfunctional. Like stuff starts to go wrong, anxiety, for sure, like emotional health just, just starts to drop off. Like we need to get hours of sleep. Now, is God mad at you if you get six hours of sleep? I don't think God's like, oh, less blessing, one less diamond in your crown in heaven or something. <laughs> no, but it's good for you. Sleep is a gift. It's like don't drink 20 cups of coffee in a day. Okay? Like if you're going like this to get your next cup of coffee, it's not good. I don't think God's going to condemn you for that. I don't know, it's not on the sin list, but it's, that's not living life. That's not living your best life. It's a gift from God. Jesus says it's for us, right? Jesus in the New Testament says the Sabbath is for us, which we're going to get to in a moment. The Sabbath, my argument here is simply it has just been lost and in large part because it is un-American. Can we hear that? Sabbath is just not in the air that we breathe. The smart, our smartphones, do, do you know what people were writing about in the 60s that when it came to the, like 2018, like this would be, this would be the, the era that we would all be working part-time because we would get so efficient with our work. When smartphones, we knew these were on the horizon, you could have email on your phone any of you old enough to remember this? Everyone was writing, this is going to make everything easier. We're not going to have to work as much. We work more efficiently and faster. But what happens when you start to work more efficiently and more faster? What do you do? Work more. This was supposed to help us. The prophets were wrong. This has arguably made things worse. It's just, it's not a shot. It's a little bit of a shot at the American dream. It's a, little, it, it's a Sabbath to stop. It's been lost. We need to learn how to be able to rest and worship. So Jesus, when he talks about the Sabbath, or when we hear Jesus, and how he interacts with the Sabbath day. 
if you are familiar with the Bible at all, we, you, you know that Jesus gets into his most trouble on Sabbaths. Almost all the time, big run-ins with the Pharisees around Sabbath days. Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, there is no like, law in the Bible against snacking. They're going through the field, they're like, hmm, nice wheat, solid. There's no law against snacking, but see, here's what had happened. The, the law is what? The command is what? Don't do any work on the Sabbath. Now, work is pretty nebulous. Work is pretty open-ended. What's work to you is not work to, to you. Some of you, like, going for a long run across the city, like, going down to the park and take, going to Roger Williams Park and just taking, like, a six-mile run. That's just, like, life-giving and free. That is work for me. I would not do that. That is not in any way something that provides rest and worship for me. But some of you, it's like when I run, I feel his pleasure. Like, you know, it's just all joy, which is great. So in other words, it's hard to pin down. The Pharisees took the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and what they did is they began to add law after law after law. And I believe it started in a good place. It's like, well, let's clarify this. What really is work? But then they began to just like go down the list and heap laws and laws and laws and laws and laws against them. This is why Jesus is quoted, right? You heap all these laws upon people you can't even keep. He's not talking about Torah. He's talking about all these extra things. It's, it's like fundamentalism, it's, it, right? Anyone you grow up in a church where it's like, right, you should, be, you should be holy. Your body is a temple. And that translated to don't get tattoos, don't ever drink a glass of wine. Anyone come up in a church like that? Yeah, that's called fundamentalism. Now, there could be a really good impulse there, which is, hey, hey, check your alcohol intake. As a follower of Jesus, you want to be filled with the Spirit and not be filled with alcohol. You want to check that. But when that stuff becomes, yeah, you will sin if you don't do that. You listen to secular music? Anyone ever get that one? I don't have a lot of fundamentalists, ex-fundamentalists in our church. It's good. I'm glad. We're, I'm a healthier bunch than other places I sometimes speak. Some of you are like, what? I don't even know. There's Christian music? Oh, that's what happened in 95.5. That's weird. I noticed the songs got different, but it's still cool. Um, I thought it was just ironic. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus knows the law, and he knows what the Pharisees have, have put onto it. There's no law for these disciples against snacking. Along the way, they lost the plot. That's what happens in a lot of... It starts in a good place. I don't mean to like push on my fundamentalist brothers and sisters. It, it starts in a good place. We want to be holy. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing. We want to make sure. And then it's not the spirit-led freedom of the scriptures. All of a sudden, it's law. It's not... Yeah, in our church, we, we just made a decision. We don't, we don't drink in our leadership or, or we don't do this or this is something that we've all come to agree because we think that's really healthy for us. And say, That's beautiful. Boundaries are good, right? Everything is like possible for us. Not everything's beneficial. Things open us, but, but the Pharisees were, were, were demanding this and then basically drawing lines. This is why Jesus says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm going to read that one more time. So then he said, the Sabbath was made for man, for people. For humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, which is the way he refers to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Now I want to humbly submit something to you. In the first century, the Jews needed to hear, it's not man for the Sabbath. They had all these commands heaped up around Sabbath. They needed to hear, hey, 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 hey. You're missing the point of Sabbath. Jesus can heal on the Sabbath. That's okay. You're missing the point of Sabbath. I want to humbly submit to you that for us, though, we need the second part of the verse. Our problem isn't all the rules that we have about Sabbath. It's that we don't have any rules about it. The second part of the verse is the Sabbath was made for you for you to flourish in God's presence. The Sabbath is a gift. Jesus is being consistent with the scriptures. Sabbath is a gift. Right? He's just making an obvious point. I didn't make humans for the Sabbath. I made Sabbath for people. So in the first century, all of these laws being heaped on exactly what you gotta do, they needed to be reminded of the freedom. I think we need a few rules. Can you come with me on this little journey? In other words, I think we need to care about it more. I think we actually need to have something in our, in our community that we go, yeah, this is something that we do. This is something that's critical to walking out the way of Jesus. We need to relearn the ancient art of stopping and resting and worshiping. Mark 3, another time, Jesus is right in the next section. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, because he has a tendency to do this. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, I love that, the man with the shriveled hand, it's a good album name, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And then he dropped the mic. They says they remained silent which is an ancient Hebrew way of saying he dropped the mic. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Look, the majority of Jesus' healings take place on the Sabbath. The majority of Jesus' healings takes place on the Sabbath. I would like to humbly submit to you that is not just coincidental. I think Sabbath is a day you get healed. I think Sabbath heals things in ways that you don't, things that you don't even know are broken. I think there's something about Sabbath that helps us to practice the presence of God and open us up to the power of God, to the Holy Spirit that is still speaking and healing and strengthening and comforting his people. I think it's not a coincidence that almost all of Jesus' healing miracles are on the Sabbath, because that's a, that's a healing day. That's a day. That's a day we get healed. Now, I have a friend who started to take a Sabbath, started to rest, put his phone away, made a rule about what work was for him, not going to do it. He hated it. It was really bad. Like really bad, just had major, like started to realize withdrawal issues from his phone. My favorite part about my buddy's story is he realized um, he had a pain in his back. He'd been going so hard and so fast. He lives in lower Manhattan, if that gives you any context. So hard and so fast all the time that when he finally created a rhythm of stopping, he realized he had some serious back pain 
that because of the constant adrenaline and go, 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 he never really felt the full weight of. I think it's a really good analogy for what can begin to happen on a Sabbath day. Sunday, it doesn't have to be a Sunday, whatever it is, the seventh day in the text is a day that we, as we stop and as many of us adopt this, don't expect it to be easy. It takes time. It takes time. Even in my own family, this is something I feel like I've done personally really well for a while and it's constantly evolving. It's different for different people. Like I said, rest for one person looks very different than rest for someone else. And if you're married, if you're in a relationship, right, you you realize how difficult that can be when one person, my Sabbath, is like, let's just sit quietly and read a book. Now, Corey can do that for like 20 minutes. I can do that for like 24 hours. So then for my wife, she needs to like work on a little project. For some of you who are extroverted and have been married to an introvert, any of you like that? Yeah, you're like, you need to go out with your friend. You need to do that for you, and you need to do that for your introverted mate. <laughs> Figure out, like, what you need to do. For, for me, I need to turn my phone off, and it's a constant struggle. Sometimes I bring it because I'm with my, my two little girls on my Sabbath. And I've realized that I bring it because I'm like, oh, I should have it just in case. And if Corey calls and I should have it, I have no self-control. The thing owns me. This stupid rectangle owns me. Am I preaching to anybody? I like my thumb hurts because I just, you know, because maybe Instagram changed. I'm not even looking at it. I don't even know why. I'm not even looking at the pictures. I have a problem. No, so I have to stop. I just got to leave it at home. So for me, all technology gets turned off. It's got to get turned off. It's got to get turned off. What I have been doing, I've talked many, many times about. Sunday is a really long day for me. So that's, those of you are like nuts and bolts people. So I come home at the end of a long day. Now that we have an east side thing happening, it's going to happen in the afternoon, so it's really not till the end of the day that I really start to slow down. Try to get to bed early, wake up, and so it's, it's daddy-daughter day. So daddy-daughter day is really sweet, and it's really awesome. We have the same rhythm that we do every morning. Now as my littlest has gotten bigger, I've realized how some unrestful it can be sometimes. But I'm leaning into the worship side. I don't have anything else to do, and I'm fully present to my kids. I'm reminded of the goodness of God. I'm not going to get this day back with my little ones. So I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to, I'm going to thank God. We, we start the day, we, we make a little chocolate almond milk, lactose uh, intolerant family. A little chocolate, chocolate almond milk and then start the day on the scriptures. Even my four-year-old who can't read. So she has a little like Bible and she opens it up basically to the same story. She really likes gruesome things so she turns immediately to the crucifixion and just zeroes in on that. She's like very sweet. She's like ballerina, unicorn, and then like blood monster. Like they, they're all there on the spectrum. So I go and I read my Bible. It's quiet time. So she drinks her chocolate almond milk. I drink my chocolate almond milk. And we read. And then at the end of the 10 minutes of quiet, she has a playlist that she makes. So we made a little worship playlist. And then I read her a story at the end of it. And we pray and we thank God. And we say, God, would your Holy Spirit come into the day today and make us aware of what you're doing that we can give thanks to you and have so much fun together. That's what we do when we start our day. Here's what we are moving toward in my family. This is helpful as a family unit. On Friday, I'm gonna come home from work. And I'm gonna come home a little early. I'm gonna readjust my schedule that day so we can prepare and get everything ready. And so that Friday at 5.30, we're ready to go. Everything is set for Sabbath. All the shopping is not any errands that need to be done. So from Friday evening to Saturday evening, we're going to Sabbath. We're going to stop as a family. 
I really like uh, ritual. This is an ancient Jewish practice. You light two candles. Light two candles that are symbolic of, of remembering the Sabbath. You remember the Sabbath. We light a candle and we're going to just start the day together. We're going to have some friends over. We always love having friends over. May have a dinner. Just have a good time. No media. Like no technology. Right? So it's great. So we go to bed a little extra early because it's, uh, you know, there's married time. seen if you're paying attention. So married time happens on Friday night. You know, be fruitful, multiply. It's command of the Bible. And then um, Saturday morning, wake up. And we do, we do a family day every Saturday morning. So we do pancakes, pancake day. I don't know where that started from, but we do pancakes every morning. We start the day slow. We go out, go for a walk, go to a park, do something fun as a family. We come back, put the kids down. Corey and I then have a couple hours to ourselves. And then we wrap up Sabbath, we light the candles again, we say a prayer, and we thank you. But the preparation, we begin the day. We begin the time going, God, okay, would your Holy Spirit come? Would you move in us? Bone off, candles, whatever it is for you, no dishes being done. It's gotta be this life-giving thing that for me, the feeling that I usually get at the end of it is I feel human again. I feel human again. Sabbath, Heschel says, gives the world the energy it needs to go another week. Sabbath is the energy of the world it needs to go another week. It's a way to cultivate, and hear this, because it's not just about the magic of taking a day off. This is about God and about practicing the presence of God. Most of us who are here and followers of Jesus would love to say, I, I am living in the presence of God. I am walking regularly and daily in the presence of God. And Sabbath is just more about rest and recharge, but a way to practice the presence of God, to create open space. Open space. All right, this, this uh, chorus we're going to sing in a moment. My heart is an open space for you to come and to have your way. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. It's a day to be open to the Spirit in a special sort of way, to set it apart, a day dedicated to the Lord. All of these things we've talked about have been powerful, but this one for me, Sabbath, has just, it's like a little mini retreat in a way that I get to spend with God and my family and the people around me. Even before I was married, it was like my favorite day. I would get on my bike and just bike as far as I could to a coffee shop on the other side of town and just sit. Like whatever it is for you. Spend some time with friends. I'd host a dinner. It was like my favorite moments. Our church has been leaning into the gifts of the Spirit. We're trying to lean into being open to the power of prayer in a new way. Our elders have pointed out there's a greater hunger and openness and passion developing in our church. Sabbath facilitates this, taking a day where we are attentive and aware. It grows our hunger and our openness and our passion for God. Many of you are passionate about justice, doing the work of joining God in the renewal of all things. Seeing heaven come to earth and what that looks like in all of its beauty and, and reality and complexity. And so if justice, right, is a day of worship, worship that doesn't lead to neighborly compassion and justice cannot be faithful worship of God. So Sabbath isn't just a, a healing balm for my soul. Sabbath positions us to be open to the work of righteousness and justice in our world. Marva Dawn says this, Sabbath is not only a festival day, 
but it is a new social reality that is carried back into days one through six. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. This has been true for me. And so I, along with Yahweh, with God, invite you into this. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It is the pause that transforms. So, would you do it? And so as we go into a time of reflection and communion, as we close our service today, can't like practice Sabbath right here in this moment. But we can take a second as we begin our week. Maybe this is your day off. I'm sure for many of you it is. As we hear like Chisholm just sing over us this prayer, my heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. I'm open that we could pray this, these words to God. We could take a moment here and just experience right the point of Sabbath, which is not Sabbath. It's not the magic of the day. It is it's the open posture to a God that we believe is still at work. God that we, we believe moves and transforms. There's a number of stories in church history of people coming into the life of a church, into the life of a community of Jesus followers, and they begin to practice the way of Jesus. This is why John says he wrote his book. I wrote about the things that he did so that you would know who he was. People would come in and begin to practice generosity, begin to practice love, begin to trust that actually their sins were, were forgiven. Right? This is in a very like skeptical hard time, much like ours as the church was beginning to, to expand you all of these historical accounts of people entering into the life of the community and just not knowing what to think about anything, but to begin to practice this because they saw transform lives. Like these people live differently. They shut everything down. What is it about that? And what are they doing on that day? And so the roots, I've shared this before, the roots, wow, I almost fell off the stage. Got so excited. God wanted me to come here. The roots of confirmation, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, the roots of like confirming your faith come from these moments where people would enter into the life of a community, begin to practice the way of Jesus, begin to trust these things about who God was, and then they would say things like, surely Jesus was the Son of God. Surely he's the Messiah. Saying yes to Jesus in so many ways is about being in line with how things truly are. And so there's something about then this Sabbath that I just encourage us as followers of Jesus who, who maybe don't do this. To allow, allow for a day to be set apart, to honor and to receive, to worship and to rest. That you may be healed. That you may grow in your knowledge and understanding of the love and forgiveness and grace of God. And that the world might know. And that the world might know. The world might know. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that in this moment, as we sit, as we, as we take the bread and the cup and, and, and wrap up our time together, we would not rush out. Or many of us love to kind of like rush out at this moment. 
if we'd pause our lists, pause all the thoughts of our brunch plans, whatever thing, whatever paper we have, we really have to go right though, Pastor, you don't understand. If we could take a moment, even just now, and become acutely aware to bring to mind the fact that we are forgiven and loved by the God of the universe, that we have been saved by grace through faith, that we have a a, a God who empowers his people to walk an abundant life, the life of heaven now, these epic things that maybe, just maybe for many of us, stopping for a day, reorienting our rhythm. Maybe for some of us, it's a pretty radical move to shift things around and be committed to it for a while. God, for those of us being invited into that space in this moment, Lord, would you seal that? Lord, would you speak? that maybe just put your palms up. Maybe kneel. Some of you love to kneel. If you're standing, if you want to stand, just let's take a moment of a posture of just openness, a surrender. We raise our hands and worship many of us because the posture of just surrender, being open and receiving again the good news that Jesus is Lord and we are not. Jesus is King and we are not good news that whatever you've done there is forgiveness there for it Jesus paid the price for our sin and set us free to walk boldly into the future as children of God let's take a moment to receive